Hi everyone, welcome to Type Talks. Today we're here to talk about ESTJ life advice. And so Wendy, would you like to tell us a bit about you? Sure, my name is Wendy Kaufman and I am the owner of Desert Sunrise Coaching. So I do life coaching and personal training and I'm a private teacher. And I've just been the, like the community guru who calls and asks advice all day long. So that's, that's what I do with most of my time. And I'm getting my master's in education because one day, since I homeschooled my kids for 10 years, I'm going to open a school because I'm, I've, I like to change things that I see are a problem. Yeah. And that's amazing. That's how things in the world improve. Wendy is super ambitious and she has a lot of character and wants to make things better for everyone. So, yeah. And Caroline? Hi, everyone. My name is Caroline Kokenauer. I am in legal professional development. I like to say I'm a recovering lawyer because I used to practice and then went into professional development almost a decade ago, and I'm loving it. I live in the Boston area with my husband and two kids, ages nine and a half and six and a half. So always have a lot of exciting stuff going on in that realm as well. Awesome. Yeah, the title recovering lawyer is very catchy. So lawyer is actually a, a stereotypical ETJ career path, actually. So that's pretty interesting. And Erin? Hi, I'm Erin Desotel. I am, I use the pronoun she and her. I live with my husband just outside of Vancouver, BC, Canada. I have a master's of environmental education and communication and an MBA. And I am currently a senior manager for energy and climate action for a local government in the area. And I, despite all the time spent indoor, indoors learning, I really like being outside and right now in the winter snowshoeing or hiking. And um, that's what really drives me is that kind of appreciation for the natural world. And that's kind of how I ended up in the career that I'm in. That's wonderful, Erin. And I also have an interview with her, her husband and Amy about the ESTJ and INFP relationship. So I'll also link that below for people who are interested because there are a lot of ESTJs who have been with INFPs on this panel actually. So, and Amy? Hi, my name is Amy Pluth. I live in the greater Phoenix area with my husband and four kids. And I've been doing panels with Joyce for what, five years now? Almost since what, six episode six? So a long time, <laughs> but it's great fun. And um, uh, uh, I currently work as a manager for McDonald's. I went back to work recently, but other than that, I've been a teacher and stay-at-home mom and daycare provider. Yeah, that is very cool indeed. And yes, Amy has been at the beginning of Type Talks. I believe we're hitting our three-year anniversary next year. Yeah. So cool. Thanks for sticking with us. And so, hi, my name is Joyce. I'm a certified MBTI master practitioner, and I also facilitate the instrument in organizations. I also coach people and I help people on the discovery process of figuring out their best fit type. And so ESTJs, I'm wondering, what are your strengths and what are your weaknesses or stretch areas? I would say I, my strengths are time management and guidance. I've spent my entire life guiding people. Um, it's, it's, it's just innate to me 
to be able to come up with the correct path for them and know where things are going wrong. Um, and part of that is, I think, being an ESTJ, and then part of it's just come from the trauma and the life experiences I've had since I was a little girl. So I would definitely say, hands down, that's my strength. I would say, uh, I would echo Wendy definitely on the time management. I would also say for me, creating structure and process is a big strength of mine. It's something I do naturally to kind of any initiative that I, that I join. Um, making existing processes more efficient is something I really enjoy doing. I also have really strong attention to detail. Um, I think in terms of stretch areas, they kind of mirror everything I just said, kind of on the opposite side. I have a lot of discomfort with the unknown or the undecided. Closure is really comforting to me. <laughs> so anything that is kind of unknown or left open can feel uncomfortable. Um, and I don't do all that well with unexpected changes of plans. Makes sense, makes sense. And Caroline is really good at being a confident speaker. So when she learns new material, she can teach it as if she's known it for like 20 years. It's very professionally done and just said like an expert. And just, I, I noticed that's an ESTJ strength in general. Like they can learn something. And then when they teach it to someone, it seems like they are, they are the subject matter expert. There's a confidence to their voice. When they say it, you feel like you can trust in their knowledge. I can, I can build off of what Caroline was saying. The very last thing you said was like not having a plan. I'd say that's my biggest weakness is being comfortable with not having a plan. I really like to know like what the goal is. What's like, where are we going? What's the direction? Because um, it's, it's hard to win if you don't know what the destination is. And I know that's one of my traits is competitiveness and achievement. So um, and when I was thinking about this question, Joyce, like I know that one of my weaknesses is not being able to express my weaknesses or acknowledge them. I'm really uncomfortable with that and being vulnerable. So I think every strength that I thought of, I'm like, well, I guess that could be a weakness. And then every weakness I thought of, I'm like, yeah, but I think that's a strength actually. So, um, but one of the strengths that I know that I do have is being a direct communicator. And I, I really value that, which I also think is a weakness because a lot of people don't. So, um, but I think in, it, it really can come in handy at work, um, school and just kind of getting things done. So just being effective uh, instead of having to try to interpret what I mean. I'm like, no, this is really what I mean. I'm saying it, I'm telling you how I feel. And I'd really appreciate it if you did that for me too. So yeah, kind of a, I kind of was seeing like the, both sides of the coin with most things that I was thinking about too. Yeah, and that's a really good point. Oftentimes our greatest stretch area is linked to our greatest strength. So they're both sides of the same coin. Our gift is also what causes us problems as well too. <laughs> well said, Aaron. Uh, I would say one of our strengths is the ability to learn things quickly and sequence them. Um, I can take in a massive amount of data and organize it and put it in order and stepwise uh, linear fashions that it makes it very easy to reproduce for other people and estimate how long it's going to take. And so provided I can figure out how fast you work, I can probably guess how long it's going to take you. Um, 
I can definitely guess how long it's going to take me to do something and I can plan accordingly. Um, and with that ability to take a massive amount of information, I can, I can predict some things, uh, because I've gotten so much information on, on some topics that I can't, can't predict the answer. And I think one of the other things is, um, I can, if you ask me how to do something, I can start backtracking in my mind and guessing how you, how we're supposed to get there and lay it out in steps. And usually it comes out right the first time I can like teach something on the fly that I'm, that you asked me where the answer is. And I'm like, okay, well, and, and my brain just starts collating all the information and putting it in order. So my answers come out in order at the same time, which is a very useful skill when you're dealing with new things all the time and you're responsible for other people. And so you're trying to teach them how to do it. Um, uh, there, I really like our ability to, um, hold both a firm set of principles, but also the ability we have to make applications of it individually. We can do, we can hold both the firm set of principles, but also continuously be making applications for this particular instance based on those principles. And so it makes us seem like we're very confident in what we're doing and it allows that quick decision-making, which we're really known for and the volume of decisions we're comfortable making in a day. And we can make a ton of decisions in, in a, a short amount of time compared to a lot of types because of that. And for us, we do get that thrill, that hit off of closing those loops, making those decisions, getting them done, especially if we feel like we're actually succeeding at something, you know, and we're seeing improvement or success. Um, those are definitely strengths of ours. As for weaknesses, one of my weaknesses is I am, I am really good at evaluating other people's abilities. However, um, if it's not an ability or a, um, awareness I'm aware of, I don't know how to evaluate it. Like, um, a lot of ESTJs when they're young, don't have great emotional intelligence, um, that often comes later for us. And so we have to learn how to recognize that in other people and value it. And so uh, that's a weakness of ours is we'll size people up and we can size people up really quickly, but sometimes we miss things because they're not things we thought were important and, or they're things we don't realize exist yet. And this is one of the wonderful things about uh, cognitive functions is you, we learn vocabulary and meanings for things that we didn't realize were there before. And so it helps us to do that even better. Um, I think one of our downsides is uh, we we can make decisions so quickly that people assume we can't ever change our decisions, which depending on the maturity level of your ESTJ, that's true or false. When you're young, it's hard to change your decisions once you've made them because you really like the fact you made a decision and you get attached to that emotionally, <laughs> although you may not really want to admit that. So, um, uh, so uh people assume we're a little bit more um, stuck in our way sometimes than we are because of that. Um, and, but we also, you know, in a sense, we can jump to conclusions a lot of times when we're younger, before we really build up that vast experience of knowledge base, which we like to collect. And we can, we can go too fast. We, you know, sometimes we have a hard time stopping to smell the roses that can be, you know, difficult for us to appreciate, you know, it's kind of more of a learned skill for us. Yeah, well stated. And so ESTJs as extroverts, there is that proclivity to move fast or to make fast judgments for specifically this type. 
with their growth path, a part of it is learning to slow down sometimes. And so what life advice would you give your younger self or to other younger ESTJs? I, well, let me just say, when the other question was answered, I didn't answer the weakness for me. And I think all ESTJs fall under this is that we care too much what other people think about us. It's very, it's, it's subconscious almost to us, but we're very aware of how we're presenting ourselves to the outside world. And sometimes that affects our decisions. So then that just kind of goes into what advice I would give my younger self would be to learn about me, learn who I am. I think that it would be so beneficial given that I coach young people that if they knew how they were built, not to put them in a box, but so that they understood the challenges. Because now when you coach people in their 40s and 50s and beyond, they are really living up to or they're living from the ghosts of their past a lot and things that they've been told. And some of it is just how they're built. So my younger self, I wish, and I wish I had understood about compatibility because I stayed in a marriage for way too long. And I was young, he was young, and we just didn't understand that we were too much alike. And so even though I have no regrets of the marriage and the kids and all that, I do wish that my younger self understood at least a quarter of what I understand now in my 40s. I would echo what, what Wendy, what you were saying about kind of getting to know yourself. I think there can be a lot of pressure that may or may not actually exist from outside of us, but that we feel. We feel there's that pressure um, to like pursue a certain career path or measure your success in terms of title or salary or wh whatever it is. When I decided to go into recovery from being an attorney, <laughs> you know, there, I knew it was the right choice. I knew it was the right choice for me. I knew I was pursuing an area that I was more passionate about and going to be happier in. But there was a lot of tension that I felt and I was worried that I was letting people down by making that decision. Um, I think the other advice that I would that I would give is your to-do list is never going to be empty. And that kind of goes back to something Amy was saying, which is just finding those ways to be present and to decompress and to somehow put aside the constant wheel that is going in all of our heads about everything that needs to be done because you will never be able to get everything done because as an ESTJ, you will always find other things that need to be done. That is so true. So I'm wondering about everyone's relationship with rest. I, I have a pretty good relationship with it, but um, that I am admittedly, that's like one of my besetting sins is laziness. So I have a bit more of a leg up on it than most ESTJs. So I think that just makes me the weird outlier. So, you know, we do exist, but I wouldn't say we're as common. <laughs> I I really um, resonate with like what we're all talking about here. I'm like, oh yeah, I definitely have those thoughts. Um, and the way I kind of think about it for the advice that I still try to have for myself, but um, for my younger self would be um, my worth is not measured by my success. And that's, 
I think what really drove me to push towards schooling and salary and all those things you were saying, Caroline, about titles and recognition, um, because it was something that I felt would prove I was a good person or good enough to be loved or good enough to be uh, respected or, you know, whatever it was that was I was seeking to be good at or good enough for. So that's that would be definitely something I would want to tell my younger self and and also kind of about that list is uh related to it and the way I try to think about it now is like have more fun or make time for fun it's it isn't always about achieving and checking the thing off the list that you have to do the the life admin um but making room for time and getting that fulfillment and being with people and being present in the moment but um all of those pieces. That would be something I wish someone had told me. And if they did, I wasn't listening at that point. <laughs> yeah, that's wonderful. And it goes back to the theme we were talking about, about how ESTJs look for external validation. And so the success externally or measurable success or success in the eyes of others, it's like, that's kind of the place that it's easier for ESTJs to go for feeling that sense of good about themselves. And then just as Caroline and Wendy were saying, the whole trick is looking internally then and, and really actually getting to know who you are apart from external success. So, yeah. That or changing your tribe so that the tribe that appreciates you is the one that matches those values. Because honestly, I can't imagine not being a part of groups that didn't share my values. And while I never had to change the groups, I. Uh, shared my values with much as an adult. Um, I think it would be smart for ESCJs to change those groups if it's not the groups that are with the values to hold. Because fighting against your nature to have group appreciation is it's not a bad thing, but it also doesn't have to be a thing. You know, you could switch groups and 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 probably be far more comfortable. Um, I think my life for ESTJs or younger people in general or uh, for ESTJs in particular would be you need to learn about yourself and you need to learn about other people so that you can learn to accurately measure yourself and other people and give grace to yourself and other people. Because we all, we honestly assume growing up more people are like us than are not like us. And we don't realize that, um, because there are enough ESTJs in the world, unlike, you know, some of the types where they're, they are really few and far between and they really do feel that sense of I, I'm, I am a loner in this world and nobody's like me. Um, we incorrectly assume that people are far more likely like us and therefore we're trying to kick them into gear going, you know, hey, you should be like me, you know, and it's, it's um, not that we can't be great motivators, but it's hard to be a good motivator if you don't really understand where they're coming from. It, it's hard to do that. And so, and it's hard to give grace to yourself and other people if you don't realize what their skill sets are either. And so um, there are, you know, this is a great way to learn about other people's skill sets and different personalities. There are other systems out there that will explain that, you know, different things about people too. So learning that kind of stuff as, you know, a younger person so that you can be gracious to yourself and to others and to accurately judge all that, I would say is definitely would be a huge bonus to ESTJs when they're younger. Um, and then as far as advice to other selves, I'm sorry, I'm going to go down like 
totally a business path, but um, I've seen way too many people graduate high school and then like mess around for so many years that they totally put their life way behind. You know, either they get into massive amount of debts going to school or they don't uh, get things going. And I would just encourage you as a younger person, do something with your life. Like either make make choices that have kind of a purpose for you. Don't just float along. Don't just stay at home in your parents' house and not get a job. You know, like either go to school or get a job. Like do something and, you know, either save that money or gain some skills so that you can have an easier time having money in the future. Because while money is not the answer to anything, quite frankly, money greases the wheels of life. And if you don't have it, life's not so much fun. So like do something when you're younger so that you, you know, you can enjoy the rest of your life. You know, don't just sit at home and talk to your friends or play things online or watch TV, you know, like get some things done while you're younger so that you can have that stuff. And then while you're out there doing those jobs or getting that degree, be smart about it. Like, you know, uh, you know, I wouldn't pick a degree that doesn't pay well unless you really, really love it. You know, if you really love it and you will thrive on that, wonderful. If you're not going to thrive on that, don't pick that esoteric degree that's not going to pay you anything. Um, get it, you know, do something else that's going to pay a bit better or just work a lot while you're young. Save it if your parents will let you and, you know, uh, then figure out what you really want to do later on and go back to school for that, you know. Um, but there, but, you know, don't go into massive amounts of debt when you're young. I mean, it's just, it's such a drag and it's so easy in our culture, unfortunately, to get student loans that are going to weigh you down for decades and, or credit card debt because they'll also give you all these credit cards at 18 and you're going to get stuck. And it's just, don't do that kind of stuff. I know it sounds really trite, but honestly, ESTJs are really good people to tell you to keep that kind of stuff more in line, you know. Yeah. So on the topic of people who are floating around, I wonder how ESTJs feel about people who look like they're loafing. So it's kind of like because ESTJs know that even when they finish their to-do list, they can find more things to do anyways. If they see someone who's like idle hands, it's like, hmm, I wonder how what that level of cognitive processing in you looks like. It's like, how do you make sense of a person like that? You talk to my husband. <laughs> He doesn't like it when I point out he could be doing something more productive, but he also helps me to understand the need for rest and um, that it's not really laziness, that there can be other reasons for not, for being idle or for not constantly trying to achieve. Idle hands do the devil's work. That's it. No, that's it. There's nothing else. And truly, I don't even know what the word boredom means. Like, I'm not kidding you. I wake up at 2 a.m. I go to bed between 8 and 9. And I am occupied doing something fairly productive almost every hour of the day. I'm not kidding you. I absolutely love life. There's always something to learn. There's always something to do. There's always something to experience. There's always someone to talk to. It, it, never, it never ends. But I, <laughs> I like to stay out of trouble. So I do... I do a hundred percent believe idle hands do devil work, devil's work most of the time. I'm definitely a productivity junkie. Like, yeah, sitting and doing nothing feels very uncomfortable <laughs> to me. Um, at the same time, this area, Joyce, that you're asking about has very much been 
a growth area for me to better understand other types and other approaches such that when I'm when I'm looking at someone, I'm not seeing the whole picture. I, I have to recognize I'm not seeing the whole picture. And they may be doing something, being productive in a way that I am just not seeing. I'm married to an INTP. Um, you know, just the differences there have really <laughs> helped me to understand that, look, he processes and thinks through things very much internally, whereas I talk through everything. So it feels like we're not getting anywhere if we're not talking, but he really is working through whatever this problem is, whatever this question is. Um, so just as an, yeah, one, one example of something I am still working on, not kind of leaping to that conclusion when I see a coworker or, or someone who I feel like, oh, they're not pulling their weight. Like, what are they really doing? It's probably because they just don't, demonstrate it outwardly in the same way that I do. I think very few people have the same sense of urgency that ESTJs have. Yeah. And I like to, um, you know, if it's a, I've learned that, you know, about people's ability to be quiet and still get stuff done. And I try to, uh, if you're talking about more the outside of work life with people, I try to be, you know, reasonably flexible about, you know, hey, you know, you're allowed to watch a TV show one one show a day. You know, that's really okay. You don't, you know, you're you could do whatever your favorite hobby or relaxing thing is. Um, what just drives me more nuts, and part of this is because it's something I struggle with, is okay, are you really watching one or two shows a day or are you watching eight? You know, like you know, is there or if, you know, is this the one night you can't afford to do anything because you are behind the eight ball and you need to get stuff done tonight because there's stuff going on tomorrow and you're just avoiding that, you know, or at the least, this is because this is the way my brain works. I can put things off till, till, till later if I know the plan of how it's going to get done later. So I have to be real careful when asking people like, you know, uh, so when do you plan to get this done? Because there are some people who don't have plans to get it done. And that doesn't mean they won't. It just means they don't plan to get things done the same way I have to plan to get things done, you know? Um, but, uh, but I also will freely admit there's a lot of people I've noticed who, you know, could get more stuff done with their life while still having a reasonable amount of relaxation or rest or getting sleep. And, you know, and for some people, if, really, you know, relaxing and getting stuff means you then have the emotional stability to deal with your trauma. Great. Please deal with that. I'm tired of dealing with it. So like get to a healthy place, deal with that stuff so that you can actually get, maybe get back to actually being able to work full, full blast, you know, because I'm old enough now to realize that, you know, trauma can cause a lot of issues for people getting things done, whether at work or at home. And if you don't deal with it, it, it's, you know, going to come back to bite. So if, you know, if uh, relaxing helps you get in the mindset, the mood, whatever, to deal with that stuff, great, do that. But just, you know, uh, just be aware of what you're doing with some of that, you know, have some goals for life, you know, and if the goals are you have a job enough that you get to do your hobbies, wonderful. That's a great goal in life, you know. Just don't be slouching on my time clock.
if I'm, if I have to be your boss. I definitely identify with like the go, go, go mentality, but I also find that when there are times when I'm feeling lazy or unmotivated, I try to be aware of what might be going on to cause that and use it as like an opportunity to check in with myself. Is it a, is it a physical issue? Is it mental or emotional? Like what is it that's causing this change in, in, you know, how I usually am versus now with this being like predominantly more lazy or feeling like I need more rest for some reason. So in, in doing that kind of self-reflection when it happens, I try to give a little bit more grace to others when, if I know them, of course, it doesn't really work if you don't know the people that you're seeing that behavior in, but if you know them and you're noticing that there's like a higher degree of laziness or loafishness or um, not getting things done or or definitely not following through on getting something done. That's when I try to say like, okay, maybe they don't process it like I do, but is there a possibility that they're going through something or they're, they're feeling a certain way that's causing this change in behavior. So I try to kind of access more of my, um, sensitive, generous side and kind of look for those options as opposed to just saying you're being lazy, you're not making good use of your time, you should be doing this, this, this. So I've tried to learn from that. It doesn't always work, but I've tried to learn from it in in that way to give a little bit more grace to people who seem lazy in my eyes. Absolutely. And that's really great. And it's really looking at the the root of why they're acting the way that they're acting. So props to you. And so I will move on to the next question. What's the best advice you've been given by someone else? I remember in high school, the first time that I was a part of a choir and the director started yelling at the choir for messing around when it was time to practice. And, you know, by the end of it, I was in tears and I went home to my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm not doing this. Like, I'm not the reason why. And she says, sweetie, just because you were part of the group, you have to realize this wasn't your fault that the group got yelled at. So it needs to be water off a duck's back. You need to just let that go. It wasn't your fault. So the ability to like, look at the critique we get and say, you know, was this actually a fair critique? of things. Because sometimes I look at people who I think are being lazy. And then I realize I set up a system for them that wasn't working. And then that becomes my fault. You know, sometimes it's a matter of being gracious because they're doing stuff. And sometimes it's because I set up impossible standards and or settings for them to try to complete. And that's on me for doing that. So the ability to look at criticism and, uh, and to be able to evaluate that on the side of like, yeah, that was, that was right. I need to fix something and then go fix it or to look at it and go, no, that, that, that criticism was either not accurate and, or you were really talking to somebody else. And I just happened to be part of the group because I love being part of groups, but it wasn't me in the group you were actually yelling at (laughs) in this case. I would say the, the best, I'm, I'm actually a simple person. The, I, I, I like things orderly and simple. So the, the best advice that I've been given from my ISFP father is what goes around comes around. That's it. I ha- I believe in great character. I strive. I have many instances in my life where I've had to do something very hard to keep good character. And so 
I truly do believe that the what you put out in the world is what you will get back in the world. And I think as a life coach, I have found that lots of people overcomplicate their lives, completely overcomplicate their lives. And Aaron, to your point, I just have to say, you, you mentioned about giving grace to people. The good thing about ESTJs and giving grace to unproductive people is that we don't even have to really we don't even have to almost evaluate them. Most people fall underneath the productivity of an ESTJ in many ways, in the sense of movement. So my point just is we give grace. We should probably give grace to everyone to a certain level. I learned that from my INFP ex-husband because he used to think that he'd have to keep up with me and never he never had to do that. Because for me, I don't hold people to my standards. They're mine and they do what they do. And I only help them get to that next place. But what goes around comes around. That's what I would say. That's true. And so Wendy mentioned the law of mirroring. What you give out in the world will get mirrored back to you in some form or the other, most likely, because the world reflects back our standards or our actions eventually. And she also mentions not judging everyone by your level of productivity. And so while the EJ types are the most likely to be the productive types in the sense of making quick judgments and moving, the IP types are the most likely to do a lot of work in their head. And so like with an INTP or an INFP, as you guys were talking about, they're more likely a lot of the action is going on inside their, their mind. And so when you have an EJ and an IP type together, there is going to be a difference for most people about one person is super action oriented and the other one spends a lot of time thinking in their head. And it, it's an interesting contrast. Um, Joyce, what came up for me, it actually kind of plays off of that idea of mirroring. I, I find that there's often just an assumption that I am holding people to the like to the same standard that I operate on, even if I truly am not. And so kind of tied to that, some of the best advice I've been given goes back to Joyce, something you said very early on in this podcast was that confident presentation, for example, makes people think that I have already, that I already kind of know something and have already decided something, even if I am open to kind of discussion and ideas. And so that is something that I kind of continuously work on is that how can I present in a way, whether it is a formal presentation or whether it's just how I am showing up in terms of at work or at home or in life, how can I show up in a way that continues to feel authentic to myself while also making sure other people feel like they have space for their own opinions, their own ideas, like brainstorming and, and all of that. So that's some, that that's kind of some advice that I've been given is, hey, you present in a, in a way that makes people think that you know what you're doing, you've decided you don't need their <laughs> advice or opinions. Um, when really that may not be how I'm actually coming at it. It's just how it's presenting. I, I feel like speaking after you, Caroline, is like working really well for me <laughs> because I feel like 
the things that you're saying I really identify with. And then I also have like a different side to it as well. So, so the advice that I was given that um, still sits with me and is kind of a mantra that I use. And I often tell it to younger staff when I'm working with more junior staff is fake it till you make it. And I think because believe it or not, when I was young, I was extreme, extremely shy. I didn't say much. I didn't assert myself. I just wanted to fit in because unlike what I think Amy, you were saying, we think everyone is like us. I didn't feel that I fit in anywhere. So, um, so when someone said like, fake it till you make it, I had never thought of faking what I wasn't because I always wanted to be knowledgeable and know what I was talking about and, and have that confidence be authentic. But by faking it, I was able to have that persona of confidence or success that I didn't actually feel. And that really helped me to build into what I think is more my my truer self of, of that ST, ESTJ presentation. So it's, um, it is something that I tell, and, and it definitely comes out more in a work environment, I would say, or a professional environment. I'd say personally, I, I probably don't lean on it as much, but that, um, but I think over time it did get me to a place where what you were just saying, Caroline, about um, seeming intimidating or domineering or that, you know, you're, you're overly confident to a point where you're not open to anyone's opinions and you have the correct answer. Um, it's definitely something that I've had to kind of be aware of and work on and, and openly invite dissension or questioning or discussion. And um, so I definitely try to balance those two sides of it because it really helped me growing up with that faking it till I made it, if I ever make it, which do we ever make it to wherever we're heading? But um, that I have to be aware that that overconfidence can also be detrimental to whatever I might be trying to to build, whatever relationship I'm trying to nurture. But yeah, I think that's a really astute observation too. That's a good point, Erin. So I think an ESTJ growth path would be because they sound so confident, confident is to actually vocally open the floor to other people speaking so that that it's said explicitly, hey, if you have any contrasting thoughts, please feel free to say them out loud. That's great, Erin. The piece of advice I got in college was I was warned before I went off to college that I tend to monopolize conversations because I'm quite a talker and quite an extrovert. And they said, girl, you will have no friends in college if you don't learn to shut up. And so I basically, so what I learned in college was not to like be quiet as a mouse, but I did learn at least to learn to take turns in a conversation with other people and to listen to other people. And I think that's because I was on the vast other side of the equation of being so not shy, you know, and so uh, that people actually bothered to warn me because I've met a lot of other people that like, oh, you actually know how to listen. And this other person doesn't yet. I'm like, yeah, because they weren't as they are not as bad as I was. I was so bad. I had to be told like, you know, <laughs> I had to learn this lesson because I was that bad. And so uh, learn the ability to learn to know when to stop talking and to listen to other people is so very helpful for an ESTJ because we can sit there and we will just monologue like a villain for forever on stuff because we are so knowledgeable. 
So the ability to learn to uh, stop talking and listen to other people and take turns in a conversation is it is a skill that sometimes we have to really work on. All right. And so on that similar vein, what is the best piece of advice you have given? I am constantly talking that choices have consequences. Uh, in my coaching business, you wake up in the morning and you get to make a choice all day long. And many times your choices, um, you can keep going back and back and back and you can see where your problem is. It's how I raised my kids. I didn't take away things from my kids. I just gave them choices. So I would outline everything, every choice that they had, and then they had to take ownership for whatever choice that they made. And it, it really provided a lot of room for their personalities. I had an ESFP, an ESTP, and an INTJ for them to grow. But even now in my life all the time, I recognize myself as an ESTJ and the people around me that your choices absolutely uh, have consequences. And the, my, other, the, my other advice that I give that I find people need to be reminded of is that the only thing you die with is your character. That's it. Like your money doesn't go with you, but your character living, living in a, in a good way, being good to people. You, that's the only thing you get to take with you. That's the thing that you can protect your entire life is your character. And then, so that goes in conjunction with your choices. So the, that's the advice I probably give out the most to anyone who asks. Yeah, accountability. And at the end of the day, you die with your character. It is important to be accountable for your actions. And I guess that's, that's what being productive is in a sense. It's like, if you stay productive, it's almost like you minimize the consequences in your life too. So for me, I, I think it's around, I mean, Wendy, what you were saying resonated. I, I also think about kind of prioritizing your values in, in what you do and making sure that not only your actions, but also kind of looking for a, a role, whether, whether it's a career or, you know, whatever it is, lo looking for something that reflects your values with people or at an organization that also reflects your values, I, I think just has a really tremendous impact. Um, so I think that that's a piece of advice that I've given folks. Um, and that, and that took me some time to internalize just kind of having to experience different organizations and, and what it felt like, even, you know, the role may be the same, but the culture is different. And, and so it took me some time to really, I think, realize that I had to prioritize my values in what I was doing and kind of where I was doing it. I think, I feel like this is a question for the people that we've given the advice to, to know if it was good advice. So I feel like, Wendy, you maybe have a, know a little bit more about that because you've probably gotten that feedback. But one piece of feedback that I got from advice I had given someone and I didn't, I didn't even think I realized I was sharing like direct advice, but I was saying that one of the ways that I decided to try to live my life a number of years ago was I want to have a life full of stories to tell. 
And someone told me just a few years ago that I had said that to them and that had really stayed with them and that they had tried to think about that in, in some of the choices they were making or helping to make decisions that, or, you know, just what they would be proud of or what kind of stories they would want to tell about their life. And I think the beauty of that being an ESTJ is that for us, our stories might be, it might be about success. It might be about achievement and getting things done, but for others, it might be about places they've traveled, although that's on my list too, but it could be just different priorities that, um, you know, maybe if there's things about achievement that I think would be important for others and they don't, but stories can be interpreted by, by different people in different ways and there's still value there. So I, I, I guess I just appreciated getting that feedback that it actually impacted someone's life and how they made decisions and how they valued um, how they use their time. Yeah, that's a really impactful statement because it's essentially telling people go out and make mistakes too. Because if you live your whole life not doing anything, it leads to a life without stories. So it, it almost tells people, hey, go out and try things. And even if it fails, it might even contain a good story within it too. So you take away something good from the things that you go through your life. And it's really telling people to try more things. It's like, just put your yourself out there so you have more stories to collect and so yeah I think it's a good lesson because it gives people a reason to overcome their fears so yeah and Amy I don't know that I have a great answer for this one because I give out advice so contextually to the person and the circumstances that are happening that I wouldn't say I have like one piece of advice I would tell everybody, you know, that goes over well, you know, um, because I think I tend to tailor things to different ages and groups, you know, so like the question earlier, what would I tell a younger person, you know, one type of advice, what would I tell an older person, it would be a different type of advice. Um, uh, you know, I love that, you know, I think in particular, you know, teaching ESTJs about this is wonderful, but I also know there are other types that don't have to learn this as much because it kind of comes more intuitively to naturally to them. And so like they get, you know, the interpersonal dynamics that we're learning by using this system um, and learning the terms of the system. Um, so I wouldn't say I have one piece of advice. You know, I've had different things that I've definitely hit. And I think for me, what I notice is when I give a piece of advice that seems to work for that particular person or area, I do love to try to repeat it for everybody else that that criteria, they, everybody else that falls under the same criteria. You know, I had a really great piece of advice for some college guys. Um, they were holding off on dating some girls and I kind of looked at them and said, um, you're going to drive the girls crazy doing that. You're like, just go ahead and start dating them. Like, don't like, they already know you like them. Don't, don't wait around on this. Like, and so it worked out really well. Both of them, you know, both guys got married to those girls, you know, and so now we laugh around. So like when I talk to other college guys, because I meet them quite frequently because we have a bunch at our church, I, you know, I laugh and I'll tell that story to them, you know, and uh, in hopes that, you know, they don't uh, make a similar, you know, bad choice. And but I think that's just reflective of the way I give advice in general is if I think something is working, advice is working, then I'm going to find, I'm going to remember that for the next person that comes along that meets the same criteria and give them the same advice that was specific to the other people. Gotcha. 
And so what core philosophies or guiding principles do you live your life by, even if just loosely? I'm just straight up hard work and personal responsibility. That's it. Um, I think that every time I, I, I've come to believe that most people have problems because they've created them. And there are things that happen in our lives. Like I'm, I'm a child from trauma. So I'm not talking about every single thing, but the run of the mill daily stuff is many times something that we do to ourselves. And so I want people to always examine their own behavior because I, I constantly have to do that. I constantly examine, I care about my performance all the time. So I constantly have to do self-reflection to see if I'm matching up with how, what I'm putting out into the world. And so I want people in my business, the bottom line is I want people to take care of themselves first so then they can meet the needs effectively to people around, like effective needs around them. And so people, I want this life is really hard. And I think that we live in a society that things, that things come very quickly. And so I want people to understand that it's, it's hard work with like moments of joy. It's not the other way around. So I believe that if you, you wake up and you make good choices and you work hard, you're teachable, then life will keep moving forward for you. And it's not that you will always be successful the way you want to be, but you have a better chance at, you know, mitigating your failures, if that makes sense. Yeah, we are the common denominator in our life. So a lot of things that happen to us, we contributed to it and, and it depends on what amount we did. But yeah, that is a huge philosophy around accountability. So I have a, a really strong value around responsibility not only to myself, but to other people. Like I very much want to be someone who everyone feels like they can count on. Like if they need something, if they've asked for something, if I've offered something, they know they're not going to have to ask twice. They're not like they're, and they're not going to go without whatever it was. Um, at the same time, I feel very strongly that everyone should put on their own oxygen mask first in the sense of taking care of yourself and making sure that you are in a position to offer that help. And I recognize that there can be some tension between those two things. And sometimes I feel that tension between making sure that I'm taking care of myself while also maintaining all of the things that I want to do for other people and that I've said I'll do for other people and just keeping up that, that kind of sense for those around me that I can always count on Carolyn. Like, I know she's going to come through on this. So always trying to balance that tension. That's good. That's good. And they say that to have a secure attachment. So basically they talk about like anxious, avoidant and secure and how it's important to create secure attachments for people. And how you do that is you actually have to be a, a figure that is trustable so that the person that is attaching to you can count on you. And so in a sense, like you're creating a world where secure attachment is more possible when you are that responsible so that people know that they can rely on you and they can count on you. And so that's, that's great, Caroline. Um, mine for me, like it's really related to the, um, 
having a life full of stories is is often at the the end of the day maybe it should be at the beginning of the day but at the end of the day I often think like how satisfied I am with the day that I had so um and usually the first thought is like was I productive but then I also try to think of other aspects that could be considered successful so you know did I make a difference to someone did I was I um able to provide them some support was I able to regulate my communication away from, you know, being very reactive or very um, short to being a little bit more understanding or um, and, and really just having a better overall communication than it might have gone? Um, so, yeah, it's kind of just that. Did I have a good day? And um, hopefully there were some stories in there and hopefully there was some productivity in there. But um, I do find that now that I've kind of incorporated more reflection regularly into my day that that really helps me feel successful because I've, I've kind of broadened how I define success. And that's helped me not have such a narrow view of how I value myself or how I think others might be valuing me. Broadening your definition of success is a is a good way of living life too. So that you don't have this very narrow metric, but you you have this more expensive metric for measuring life. Excellent. And Amy? I would say my overall philosophy of life is it's my job to love everyone. And by love, I don't necessarily mean just tough love, which ESTJs are very good at tough love. Um, that's kind of our wheelhouse forte. But uh to love everyone in a self-sacrificing way, to love everyone because they simply exist, to um, to be not to be an encouragement to others if that's what they need to to get better. Um, sometimes for them to get better, it is that teaching side of me that's what they need. You know, sometimes it is the the tough love that's what they need. You know, uh, to to have. Um, sometimes it's the, you know, I've learned it's the compassionate side, the the whole classic, you know, FI side of things that we tend to think of, um, you know, doing something for somebody because they, that's just what would help them feel better, you know? And so I think that's where my uh, guiding principle is, is that, you know, I have, I, I have been much loved. I have been supremely loved. And I need to share that with other people in a way that um, is helpful and not hurtful and not, not, you know, not letting them walk all over me per se in the way I do that, but uh, to, to learning to balance what, what do they, what does this person really need? What do they need? How can I love them in a way that would actually be helpful to them at the moment, how can I, um, I don't really worry about loving myself. I do that pretty well. <laughs> that's not, that's not too much of a problem. Um, but I also know that, you know, if, if I don't take care of myself, it's hard to love other people too. You know, if you don't get enough sleep, so you're cranky. Yeah. You know what? That's going to really mess up your ability to take care of other people in a loving manner, you know, that, so, uh, so there's nothing against um, self-care and what I'm trying to say at all, uh, as far as that goes. Um, I just think 
uh, ECJs probably have less of a overemphasis on self-care than probably some other types do. But uh, learning to balance all those things is just a continuous skill I'm always working on. And, um, but I also think for me, it's a very big thing to say that I, I was in the drive-thru handing out food and some teenagers came through and I think he was just being funny. And as he's pulling away, he goes, love you. And I, I stopped myself. Cause I'm like, I just about shouted back. I love you too. And I turned to my coworkers. I'm going, dude, that would not have been inauthentic because that is like a firm principle in my life of, I love everyone in the world. You are a human being. I love you. You know, like there are, there are things I will do for you. You could be a complete stranger and I will, you know, there, you know, and so I'm like, I'm glad I didn't say it because he probably wouldn't have understood what I was, you know, <laughs> that I was reacting out of core principle here. But, um, but that's what I would say is, is the guiding philosophy for my life. The answer is love. And so I, it goes back to something Erin said, and she talks about being gracious when it comes to other people. And if they're lazy to figure out like, oh, what's causing that? And I feel like that in itself is love too, because instead of going to judgment, you're going to compassion. And I think compassion is is a form of love because you're, you're seeking to understand and provide grace for the other person. And so I, I enjoy seeing the ways in which you ESTJs are showing love to others. And so who or where do you look to for life advice? And where would you recommend people look for advice on life? I actually had a lot of trouble with this question, to be honest with you. I thought it would be really easy. Like I read all the questions. I'm like, okay, this is fine. Until I got to this one. And because I realized what I actually do is not so much seek people out. Though I do have a mentor. I do believe in mentorship. A hundred percent. I believe in that. But on my day-to-day -day things, what I just make sure I'm doing is always researching. I'm always researching. So I'm always looking at both sides. I'm always asking other people. I've put a ISTP in my life. So he helps me think things through. And so I really focus on more just making sure I'm not ignorant that's what I, that's what I work on. If I had to do like my celebrity guy that I go to, it's David Goggins. Not that that would be a surprise, but it is. Um, he, and he does a lot of the hard work type of things, but I think for ESTJs, we have to always make sure that we are getting all sides of the story before we make judgments. We need to make sure we evaluate our values so that we know where they come from. Because sometimes we can just grab onto things just because an authority says, and we believe it. And it's not always wise. Sometimes it is, and sometimes it's not. So for me, it's, it's not that I don't find any value in people who give life advice. I really don't. But I just find that I use a variety of people and go to a variety of sources to get any kind of uh, help or advice that I would need. Wendy, I felt like you just gave the answer straight out of my head um, because I, I felt the same way about the question and I immediately went to, well, yeah, I really research rather than kind of seek advice. That research may include going to other people, you know, books, articles, podcasts, wh whatever it is, 
and it for me it really depends on the topic who I'm going to go to and where I'm going to go. Like, am I looking for career advice? Am I looking for parenting advice? What what exactly am I looking for? And I, I do, I try to just gather as much information as I can and then sift through it and really kind of figure out what of this information and which of these approaches resonates with me and feels consistent with my values. And I'm going to take those pieces and, and the rest, not that it's not great information and great advice, but it just doesn't feel right for me. So I'm going to kind of put that aside. Um, so yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, I, I agree. Like I, I would say, I don't know if I've ever sought like advice in the purest form, but um, the same kind of calculated researched methodical approach to finding an answer to something. And usually it's, um, it, I am looking for an answer. So like I have a goal in mind. It, it isn't just kind of like, how should I live my life? It's like, you know, where do I invest? You know, it's something very specific. So um, I would say a bit of a more um, emotional response for me is like my parents. I definitely have a good relationship with them. They actually live in a suite in our house now. and. I feel like for certain aspects, um, I get really good advice from them, whether it's I'm seeking it or not sometimes, but um, I do trust them. I, I think they're both pretty reasonable people and I appreciate that too. I, I do find it hard to um, identify with more celebrities type of advice because it, 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 I don't feel like it really reflects my situation very well. So I have a hard time identifying with it and, and thinking it's going to work for me, but, um, but that's just me. And um, yeah, I, I think I look at the proof of, of the advice for whoever I'm going to, right? Like I would say like, okay, are you, are you suited to give this kind of advice to me as opposed to someone who's giving investment advice and they're, you know, not, they don't have a very good standard of living in any way as either like obviously or in the bank that I'm aware of, but, for someone that has a comfortable life and they do know what they're talking about based on the research I've also done, because I'm not going to go into it blindly, then I would be more likely to trust it. So I do appreciate kind of more tangibly understanding that someone is able to give me that advice as opposed to just kind of wanting to believe them because I like what they're saying. So yeah, the research part to me is is definitely a, a large part of it. And then the trust in uh, the source. I think for me, um, this is kind of a two two prong question. I mean, like, I think there are people in my life and philosophies in my life that are just um, people that I identify with morally and values wise and philosophy of life wise that I'm in agreement with, and so um, uh, I am religious, so I do definitely rely on. Uh, a lot of the stuff I've, you know, learned in church um, and stuff like that. Not that I would take any of that with a um, blind obedience by any means, other than like, you know, I believe in God. And, you know, I have opinions on that and what he says about himself. But, you know, uh, so I think they're finding, I think for us finding the people that we match with on a, you know, moral level, on a, a values level is definitely where we look to for advice 
Um, but I think we're also pretty practical people who look for advice too. And when it comes to the practical things, looking for advice, a lot of what the other ladies were saying is definitely true. You know, we're looking for people who know what they're talking about. Uh, we look for people, uh, we are okay with sifting through the material and tossing what they want. I think it's hilariously funny that everybody is, um, yelling at Marie Kondo because she now has had her third kid and she's not as tidy as she used to be. And she kind of slightly repudiate, repudiate some of her stuff. And I just look at it and laugh and go, dude, like if you'd actually looked at her system and already had three kids, or I have four kids when I learned about her system, you know, um, I couldn't do everything about her system, but there were a lot of good things about her system. Like, you know, that I did incorporate. So like, why are we suddenly like, you know, calling her awful for not being quite as tidy as she used to be. I guarantee even with three kids and she's not as quite as tidy as she used to be. She's probably still far more tidy than a lot of people, you know, <laughs> um, uh, the SI is real strong in that system. Um, uh, but you know, there, uh, so I do think we do that. So I, I mean, I don't have a problem with the fact that, you know, maybe she's not as tidy as she used to be. I still think a lot of what she said was you know, still very incredibly valuable and smart. And like, in fact, I was just talking to my mom the other day. She's like, well, I, I need to source, store some of this stuff in a drawer, but this is not really a great way. I'm like, well, then maybe you need to store it like in clear bins in the drawer, you know, because that's one of her principles is, you know, make it easy to find because you didn't hide it inside a closed box where you can't see where it was when you were looking for it. You know, like, um, I was like, well, maybe you just need to get clear bins to sort things through and just, yeah, the drawer's not so, not full up all the way because, the stuff you're putting in there isn't as tall as the drawer, you know, and that's okay, you know, to waste that space, you know. But, um, so I do think we do do, you know, evaluative research on a lot of things. But I also will freely admit we do have a tendency, if we're not at the point we can do research or we're younger and we don't realize research is important, we do have a tendency to trust those who seem to be authorities on the topic. I think because we recognize that way we talk with authority. So people who have achievements that have been recognized by others, because we are group oriented, um, we tend to recognize that as, you know, hey, if you've gotten the recognition from others, because, you know, you have a diploma or other things, or a, a large following, then we do, we do tend to recognize that there are people who must somewhat know what they're talking about out there. And we do have a tendency to follow those people. I think as we get older, the, the research comes more into play as we, as we learn, you know, the first time we follow a, an authority figure and then we realize they were wrong. It kind of is very jarring. I think we all kind of remember that experience when the first time we have that happen to us. Um, and we learn, oh wait, we should, research and evaluate these authority figures more so. And I do think it comes naturally to younger generations today than it would have been to generations older than us, you know, um, for that to be the case, they may be, um, that may not be so shocking to them for a younger generation to know that they have to research things as opposed to older generation. Um, but. All right. Yeah. And so, Thank you, ESTJs, for your wonderful thoughts on life and the advice that you have to offer to people who are wondering about how to orient their lives. And so you offered a lot of values that are very helpful to help people with making decisions that are in line with their character, as Wendy was talking about, and really focusing on establishing a place with 
values that reflect your values as Caroline was speaking about too. So it's important to account for how things align with who you are in an introverted feeling kind of way. That was a really good lesson for people who might be in a circumstance where they're not congruent with the values or the situation that they're in, and it might give them the confidence to change their situation. So they might've just needed that extra push to hear it from someone else that, hey, you might do better in another environment as Amy was talking about, you know, a new set of friends with the kinds of values that you want to be surrounded by. And, and that would really help change things. So I'm getting the feel that changing your environment can also help engineer things in a, in a way where it helps you keep certain values or align yourself with certain values in a, in a more honest way too. It's interesting how when we talk about life advice, it all comes down to values and character. Because just as Wendy said, that's really all you have at the end of the day. And so I feel like it was reflected in this chat. With Erin, she really brought the having a life full of stories. And so I feel like that's the kind of metric that we're not told to initially look at in life. We're, we're told to measure other things like success or to-do lists for, for ESTJs. It's almost like Aaron provided a new measurement, like how interesting is your life or how many things do you have to share at the end of the day? And so that was really interesting. So I feel like with Amy too, she also provided the metric of love. She's like, all right, at the end of the day, it's also about the love that you give to other people, like because you are loved that you are able to give that love to others. And so I think those are two intangible things to measure, but it's oftentimes the intangible things that mean the most, but they are harder to measure. And so I, I feel like that was a, a good conversation we had too. And so, yeah, thank you ESTJs for coming out today. It was really lovely to see how efficient and effective you are at organizing systems and your to-do lists. I'm sure it'll inspire productivity in people too. People will be listening to this while eating a bag of chips and they're, and they're gonna feel guilty about their lives. <laughs> and they're like, hmm, these people are so productive. Maybe I should uh, also do a little bit of that too. And so I see you people in the audience as well. <laughs> and so thank you everyone for watching. I'll see you all in the next episode. Take care. Mm -hmm.